The Other Side podcast mission is to discuss important cultural and social issues relating to race, culture, gender, and equality. Thanks again for joining us for another episode of The Other Side Podcast. I'm Scott Kirk here with Lucas Sullivan. And today joining us in studio is Dr. Emily Krishbaum, who is the founder of the nonprofit organization Remember the Ladies. The organization is dedicated to teaching American women's history. Welcome. Thanks, Scott. Tell us a little bit about your organization and what made you uh, start it in the first place. Sure, and you can call me Emily. By the way, okay. you don't need to say Doctor Christian. Now I'm going to call. If you, but I if appreciate you, it. If you got a doc, if you're a doctor, you need to be called Doctor. You can just call me Doc. She just told me I didn't have to. We'll call you Doctor Emily. Is that okay, or would you like Doctor Chris? Yeah, Bombay? I'm a person of the people. Okay, right. Doctor Emily. That's right, fine, Doctor Emily. <laughs> I started Remember the Ladies almost two years ago now, and it was very organic. I was an American history professor, and I taught graduate classes. And I was teaching current teachers, high school history teachers, elementary school teachers. And when I stepped away from my position at the university, I had a lot of my former students who were teaching in high schools and elementary schools asking me for resources on women's history. Mm -hmm. Um, This is at Ashland? Yeah, at Ashland University. Um, But we had a program, a master's program, that would bring teachers in from all around the country and do one week intensive master's classes in the summer. So it's like a history nerd camp. So this is like continuing education for them? Uh, a master's degree for them. Oh, a master's Yeah, okay. a master's degree okay. for them. Right. And so, you know, students in Arizona and Utah and North Carolina and all the good stuff. And so when I stepped away uh, and 2017 and 16 happened with all of the things from elections to the Me Too movement, uh, there were a number of people who started to think that maybe we should talk more about women not only today but of the past as well Mm -hmm. and so they reached out to me and they're like hey do you have a few books do you have a few this do you think maybe you could do professional development and I was excited about it and I said to them you don't need to charge me if you can just get me there Mm -hmm. right I'll I'll do a day and it started growing and developing into talking at different universities talking at different schools starting curriculum and continuing conversations with teachers in Ohio and around the United States of how to make women's history mainstream and not just in March and not just this token. Like they were there too, all three of them. So Dr. Emily, everybody knows about famous women in history, right? You got, uh, yeah. Who do you have? Love to hear this list. (laughs) Um, oh now, I'm, now, I'm, now I'm actually worried. Uh, okay, so you got Susan I'm, B. Hey, Anthony. Let me get my popcorn. You have Harriet Tubman, women like Amelia Earhart. Yeah. Just to name a few. Yeah, Those oh, are just a few, dot, right? Dot, dot, dot. So I don't understand. What, I'm, I'm playing devil's advocate of here. Course. But when you have female figures like this in history, kids learn about them. I don't understand. What aren't women's roles in history already being taught? So here's the thing. When you look at American history curriculum, uh, women comprise less than 10% of American history curriculum. Really? Yeah. The rest is all men. The rest is all men. Oh. And so when you look at, depending on the state, because states decide on the standards of curriculum, it could be anywhere from 6 to 10%. A lot of those roles that are being discussed, a lot of those women that are discussed, because it's not necessarily a specific woman Mm -hmm. it's just women in general Mm -hmm. right so of that say eight percent sixty percent of those roles that those pages 
are dedicated to domestic roles. Right, so follow me. So this isn't like Amelia Earhart who attempts to fly around the world. It's, well, in 1880, Sally got a stove. So instead of making soup over a fire, she now has a stove. And, you know, people are like, so we now have stoves. And so the lesson I think that young girls walk away from and young boys is that 60% of what you learn of women, of that small percentage, is that predominantly a domestic role. It's mm-hmm. predominantly that of the helpmate, that of the partner, and not necessarily one that can start a movement or can question society or can make a change. And so I think that's what's problematic is that they're barely there. And when they are there, it's in a domestic role or it's Rosie the Riveter and Sally Pitcher. Those weren't even real human beings. Wait, Rosie the Riveter she wasn't? Was, it wasn't an actual human. She did not have a social security card. She did not have children. She, did, she was made up by the War Department as the symbol of women who went to the war factories during World War II. Is it that educators just lack the knowledge about about these other women that we don't often hear about, or is it that they're just biased towards men and that's what they teach? I think the problem, the, the last problem is teachers. Uh, I think teachers have such a burden to teach to tests, to write IEPs, to stay after for parent-teacher conferences and cross-country practices and all of those things. Um, You can only teach what you know. You can only teach what's in the textbook. And you can only teach what you yourself have learned. And I think to put that sort of burden on an already burdened individual, I hold teachers to the highest level of respect. That's just cruel and not fair. Instead, I think it's simply a lack of knowledge. I think one of the reasons why this whole thing started and why I'm so excited about it is that there are people that really want to know. Mm -hmm. And once they hear the stories and once they hear the stats, they're like, why isn't this taught? Right? uh, And people want to be evangelists for the movement. And it's not really, it doesn't take that much. Right? It's learning a few more stories and putting it alongside the stories that already exist. This is not about rewriting history. This is the most bipartisan, um, anemic when it comes to politics thing that I've probably ever done. I simply want young girls and young boys to be in classrooms and to know that there are individuals like Dred Scott, for example, in 1854, who sued for his freedom, and Elizabeth Freeman, she renamed herself, uh, after she fought for her freedom in the 1700s, long before he did. Right? So we are joking earlier. I'm not looking to make a March Madness bracket, right? <laughs> like, who should we cover? George Washington or Rosa Parks? That was right? fun. <laughs> that was, yeah. yeah. And, and then you have a final four. Do you have one of those? Uh, no, but up? I'm actually, after talking about that, I think I want to make one. Oh, you got to make one. Right? I would totally do it. And then we could debate why who, we pick. Who should be included. Absolutely. That would be awesome. But I think that's the thing is that so rarely. Let's stop the show and just do that right now. <laughs> so rarely we think about why we teach what we teach. Uh-huh. Right. And and who who we're presenting to students, because that's just the way it's been. Right. right. That's just what we've always done. Yeah. That's the thing is like it's just it's just tradition. There's a lot of tradition in teaching and it's just tradition piled on top of tradition. And they just lump all these new testing requirements and everything on top of 
that tradition. So it's new pedagogy, right? Like new ways to teach and new things to teach too, but not necessarily reinvigorating the curriculum. And you don't have to worry about that with science, for example. Like an atom will always be an atom. Right. I'm, I'm wondering, do you get in? Do you get into arguments with men about this? Like, um, as like, far as like, do you, like I, I'm just curious. Like yeah. when you're when you're talking about it, or in your personal life, or in, or when you've been teaching, do you do 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 you find that men you know what say get angry too and, much women's history no i'm saying like I, i'm just trying to imagine you know there are a bunch of opinions out there these days but i'm just wondering if you get pushback at all right yes and, and what, how does it come like what's the well i think the i think the initial reaction i think that's a great question too because the initial reaction is somewhat defensive like there's somebody that's wrong in the equation Right by bringing up that we've missed this, then somebody must be to blame, and there isn't anyone necessarily to blame. Right? It's not. I'm not doing this Neanderthal thing like me good, you bad. Me teach women's history, you don't. Uh, and instead, you know, I think if one, you don't know what you don't know, and I think as soon as individuals start hearing about the histories of women and acknowledging that there were really, really amazing. I mean, like Megan Rapino type individuals in our American history that people are so jacked up about now and so inspired by and these 12 year old girls that are getting um, you know running to buy their jerseys and wanting to play soccer that we have that in our history already people simply don't know about it that when I start telling those many of those individuals are like oh well that makes sense that makes total sense I see it because I have a theory about this uh, and it, it, it you can apply it to a lot of things Men, and, and this is a problem that men have, a big problem. Men don't like it when women make them feel stupid, right? So if you're talking to me about a subject that I don't know, that I probably should know, either men act like they know and they don't, or they get defensive and they get angry. And so I just wonder if it's hard sometimes to get just get the point across to even you know, male teachers or men in your life when you start talking about this without getting an eye roll or getting, oh, yeah, but come on, she's not greater than George Washington or Thomas Jefferson or blah, blah, you know, like right. you, you get down this road of, you know, where they want to pounce on you when all you're trying to do is educate them. Yeah. And I don't know if we've ever necessarily gotten to the pounce stage, uh, but it's more of been a kind of a quizzical questioning Scooby-Doo head tilt of like, but why do we need this? And I've oftentimes said you have an eight-year-old daughter or niece or cousin or fill in the blank, right? And her curriculum currently exists as a window of her looking at all these other things as opposed to a mirror. And currently her curriculum is suggesting that the people of the past that look like her and that are her were either helpmates on the side, supporting actors, or simply not existent in leadership, in areas of brilliance. And I think when you put it that way, that this isn't a us versus them, but instead a, don't you want them to feel like they're capable too? Mm -hmm. um, and not putting them at the center of attack because there's no one to attack here, right? It's just, it's simply adding, but it's having that conversation and me not getting defensive either, right? Or anyone suggesting yeah. that they're wrong because... I mean, you don't know what you don't know. Right. I'm interested to know what you think about this. It's not rewriting history, but it's more shining a light on parts of history that weren't there 
and you know there's been a, there's been a movie about about women uh, who helped you know put men on the moon. It takes a lot of work to do women's history because the documents, right? All good history is based off of primary sources, is based off of what was written at the times, what was covered at the time, any audio that you might have for later, television. And if women weren't in the spotlight to begin with, it'd be incred- it's incredibly challenging. In fact, there's this great book by Tara Hunter. At the uh, end of the 19th century, she covers African-American women during the Reconstruction era. And you imagine the record of African-American women during the Reconstruction era. How would you even find this? Mm -hmm. Well, what she ended up doing was tracking the lawsuits and the court cases surrounding individuals who were stepping out of line that were black women, right? Because black women didn't really have voices then, and nobody was putting a microphone to them. And so I, I don't get angry. You have to become more creative, in your research and the way in which you search for these individuals. So again, it's never this, and I point to you and I consider you to be wrong and bad and white and you include women in this. Instead, it's in the same way that science has progressed and technology has and the way in which we do business and the way in which we buy things. Now that we have the capacity to do research in a way that we never really thought about before, uh, let's leverage that. What does the curriculum look like? Are we talking about books? Are we talking about slideshow presentations, PowerPoint presentations? Yes, Ben Stein, 400 slides of PowerPoint (laughs) in a dimly lit room right after lunch. Uh, I am excited now. (laughs) Yeah, I'm fighting to stay awake. What I've really worked to do is that teachers should not have to reinvent the wheel, and I want to make this as easy as possible for history instructors to be able to include women and so it is a, an era-by-era era curriculum mm-hmm. where if they already are, for example, teaching the American Revolution and maybe emancipation in the stage of the American Revolution in the start of the country, I am going to have three or four profiles of individual women that you could very easily incorporate into what you're already currently teaching. So Mumbet, for example. Mumbet was an African-American woman in Massachusetts. And she was enslaved. Now, after we break away from Great Britain, all of the states adopt new state constitutions because we have, right, we're going to have a new constitution. We need state constitutions. We need to make sure everything's in line, blah, 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 yada, yada, right? And Massachusetts state constitution lets the Declaration of Independence take the lead and inspire their document. And in the Massachusetts state constitution, it says all men are created equal, free and equal, free and equal. Mum bet an enslaved woman is in the town square when she overhears the reading of the Massachusetts state constitution, because that was the entertainment of the time, right? And and people were very engaged civically. And so she hears this and she decides to sue for her freedom. The state of Massachusetts. She decides to sue the state of Massachusetts saying, well, this is what you said. All men are created equal. um, So I'm going to put you to test. And she won. First African-American woman to win her freedom in a court. I was and, never taught that in school. Yeah. And started this whole slew of freedom suits where everybody else was like, well, Mum Bet did it. Like, maybe, you know, maybe right. I can do yeah. it. So, so, they, so you have another one and another one and Billy and Bob and Joe and um, Sue until finally the state of Massachusetts is like, maybe we should just pass an emancipation, right, uh, act for all so that we don't have to deal with this in the courts because they're getting backlogged. And emancipation is passed slavery is eliminated from the state 
and she renames herself Elizabeth Freeman. And that doesn't take very long, right? I mean, there are pictures of her. There's the court documents. And so that isn't a, well, we're going to have to not talk about these two other people. But it's adding that in. And for having young girls and young boys, because I think it's important that the young boys see it too, that everyone is capable of doing really miraculous and terrific things. So, Dr. Emily, when did this start for you? At what age did you and and why? Were you sitting in class like, I, I, this is not, I'm not hearing enough about women? I think it all started in the third grade when I lit textbooks on fire and, and flipped the desks. No, I didn't do that. I just... That would have been a I'm no, no, let's, great story. Let's keep going though. down with that. Yeah. No. <laughs> no, I, you know, I didn't really think about it at all. I, I think... When you were pursuing your PhD, though, oh, of course. So I this was the the ultimate goal. I hated history in high school. Really hated it, and well, I was a little too cool for it. I was that person, right? I was like way too cool for school, like no time for it. What were you in high school? Were you a were you a jock? Were you a, just a um, trendsetter? You know, were I'd you... like to think I, I was very Breakfast Clubish and that I could transcend those things. But if I had to pick. <laughs> Uh, yeah, maybe I was the athlete, I guess. Um, you played sports? I did. What did you play? I played volleyball. Okay. Yeah. So uh, you were around girls in sports, like not co-ed, never like well, challenge. I, were you challenging actually, yourself against the boys all the time? So I will say that I, I think it's um, in the seventh grade, I remember running cross country and I was in a Coles with my dad. We were walking around Coles and there was a Nike shirt. And it was the first time one of those Nike shirts came out about like girl power and mm-hmm. women. And it said in the front, like, um, behind every great man is a woman. And on the other side, it said, who's about to pass him. And I wore that shirt. I wore that shirt every day. I slept in that shirt. So that was one of your earliest that, memories. That was of- probably one of my earliest memories. But then um, I think the other thing was when I was playing volleyball, it was in the ninth or 10th grade, <laughs> I was running late for a a game and I grab my bag and I realize I didn't have deodorant. Right. And so I make my friends stop at drug mart. I run in, I grab deodorant and we, and I, I just see that says sport on there. Right. And we're, and we're warming up before the game and everybody's like, who smells like old spice? Like where's the 50 year old man on the court? Yeah. Right. <laughs> and I like, it took me maybe a few minutes until I'm like, I'm the old man. You got like, the sport on. I, I smell you like my You got the spice. Father. And man, this uh, little Emily, she, you know, she sat down at that new computer that her dad just bought that took up half the size of this desk, you know, that we're sitting at. And I wrote to Suave. And I'm like, you know what this suggests, don't you? So I think I always had that little You wrote bit. a letter to the deodorant company. I did. Saying that they should introduce that, a women's line? That, well, that I was, no, I was just like, well, of course, that if it's a sport, it must mean that it's for uh, men. It's got to be musky. Well, like it should be whatever an androgynous smell would be, or there should be a sport women and a sport men. I, right. I'm, I just called it out. I didn't have a solution, which I realize now when you call things out, you're supposed to have a solution. But you know when you're Did 15, they respond? Oh, I got a lot of free product. That's all I did. Oh, but wh- but my dad was pumped. So he was why very were- <laughs> excited by all the free product? Why why were you were on fire? I mean, why what what was it? Was it like what put the fire in you? Was it your dad? Was it your mom? Was it just you reading and so immersing? What was it? No, I I I wouldn't really take myself. I wasn't really that serious back then. I did have a fire. I can't really put. My finger you on, just like to point on, out absurdity. So you, so your your deodorant 
you know, made you smell like a musky dude. So yeah, you're I, like, well, I'm writing was, a letter. Well, that, that was frustrating. But I also remember, you know, the T-shirt never really thinking that way before. Right. That you have this line of like behind every great man is a woman. But um, I think the other thing is, and this is why I'm really passionate about Remember the Ladies, is I do think I had these ideas and these notions, but there was no foundation for it. There was no real guidance. There was no direction to like channel it. Right. And, and, you know, I mean, you're also a teenager and you're just angsty and have this ball of emotions that you don't really right. know what to do with. But uh, I, I grew up in a very rural community. I mean, I was a child of the corn. And Where was that? Ashland. Oh, you grew up in Ashland. Yeah, okay. born and raised. World okay. headquarters of nice people, yeah. according to our sign. Yeah. But I, I will say that when I was six or seven years old, my half-sister, who's about 20 years older than me, she graduated from Georgetown Law. And at the time, I had no idea what Georgetown Law School was. My, my dad wasn't even... I don't think he even knew the level of legitimacy that Georgetown Law commands. And he asked for time off at General Motors where he was working and where he worked for 35 years. And he's like, yeah, I'm, I'm going to my daughter's law school graduation. And they said, well, Jim, where'd, where'd she graduate from? Georgetown. And they were all like, Jim, are you serious? Like, you never told us about that. And he's like, oh, this is a pretty big deal. Like, well, all right. You know, and I remember him saying to my sister, like, Jen, this is a really big deal. <laughs> You're graduating from Georgetown. She's like, thanks, Dad. I know. But I, I went to that graduation ceremony, and my parents took me to the bookstore. And I ended up picking up Raul Dahl's Matilda and a highlighter. And I remember sitting there and just in the presence of just Washington, D.C., and on this beautiful campus and seeing these individuals do things that, of course, at six or seven, I wasn't necessarily even thinking of because I didn't have that awareness to me and when people started going across the stage I opened up that book and I started highlighting every line like I was studying and like looking around the crowd like you fools are watching a graduation but I'm studying and I'm going to make it on stage one day like mm -hmm. I clearly remember that as uh, a moment when I was younger and so that's why this project's so important to me because I think you can't control where people are born or raised you can't control who raises them there's a lot of things you can't control about what they observe and what they experience and what they believe about themselves and their surroundings, but you can have a certain amount of control over the curriculum and what they see. I think the sooner that young girls and boys see themselves in what they study, they're more likely to believe that they too can do that. So do teachers have the power you feel if a teacher is listening and, and, and saying, like, I want to do this, do they have the power to inject that curriculum into their classroom? Like, if a teacher right now is just listening to this and agrees with you, can is it easy to just, you know, start doing this? Or, you know, are they so, in, in your opinion, are they so busy trying to teach to the test and get their students onto the next grade that there's not enough time or it takes too much effort to try to inject some of that? I think one of the greatest things about teachers is that the best teachers always find time. Okay. Um, if they really believe in it and believe in the cause and believe that it will make their students believe more in themselves, that they will take that extra hour or two to read that lesson plan. I think s teachers are always looking to be more innovative in the classroom and to really connect with their students. 
and so these uh, this curriculum that I'm developing, I think, makes it just a little bit easier for them. But of course, they need to put some work in on there and to to implement because, like you said, they're teaching the tests and they have a lot of other responsibilities. And what what are the demographics? If you don't know them, that's fine. I, this isn't a quiz. But I would assume that that the makeup of the demographics of superintendents and principals largely leans male. You know, I don't know the demographics for that. Okay. Um, I just wonder if that's a factor, too, that, you know, in, in positions of power in districts, just like in other parts of society, you, it's still predominantly men. I'm making that assumption about education, but... I will say that the schools that I have been able to get into outside of the state of Ohio... Um, some of my major advocates have been former male students and former male students were like, oh my gosh, yeah, we, we need, them. why don't I know this? Of course I would have taught this. And they were the ones to get the superintendent on board to bring me to the schools. Um, so I, I haven't really received a whole lot of pushback as far as male versus female. It's been more of um, apathy or why is this necessary as opposed to anything else. Do you ever get to see your curriculum being taught how the students the kids actually react as they're taking all this information in i haven't personally from the teachers that i equip i was in the classroom for 10 years uh, at the university level and i think my experience in sharing the curriculum that i've developed with them i could see a significant change i could see a, a peaked interest um, I also teach at the Glenn School in the new leadership program in the summers. Mm-hmm. And the responses back that I've gotten from undergraduate women who are at Ohio State and other schools around the state say this is the first time I've heard this. And I wish I would have known it sooner, but are very excited yeah. to hear it. And yeah, I think it makes a difference. Dr. Emily, you're wearing a shirt yeah. here today, and it has the names of some famous women on it yeah. it's a white t-shirt with just black lettering yeah. the first name on it Dolores is it Horta mm-hmm. that's the only one I don't know anyone else in the room a political activist okay. an organizer are we modern day is she modern day she is she- modern day she in fact uh, visited Ohio State last year now did you make this shirt no I did not make the shirt so I you wish ordered I it somewhere I did I ordered it from the National Women's History Museum although remember the ladies is working on merch right now but I mean we want to push these things out (laughs) okay so I mean she's she's in there with some esteemed company Ida B. Wells Susan B. Anthony Coretta Scott King Eleanor Roosevelt just to name a few on there and at the very bottom you yeah at the very bottom it says you You. because these because I think that's the issue a lot of these individuals are treated as like tokens and um, and outliers but Dolores Huerta the I mean, an American labor leader, right? Civil rights activist um, who's almost 90. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Give us one of the most fascinating women that you've studied so far. That might be kind of hard, but I'm just curious. Um, well, I think Mumbet is one of the most fascinating. Yeah, I'm going to go read up on Mumbet. I, yeah. I'm, yeah. Or, I was completely caught off guard by that. Um, I think another one off the top of my head is Harriet Jacobs. A lot of times we read autobiographies of Frederick Douglass. Um, Harriet Jacobs, on the other hand, was his contemporary, and she lived uh, as a slave, and she wrote her own autobiography and escaped to an attic on the plantation where she lived 
and lived in an attic with a three-foot ceiling, right? Oh so she lived in this like three-foot crawl, yeah. crawl space uh, for seven years. Seven years? Until she felt it was safe to leave. Of course, her master um, took advantage of her in many different ways and became a little bit obsessive with her. Um, it, it's, it's Law & Order SVU for Antebellum America. I mean, the story is mind-boggling that this could even happen but so wait the so the the plantation owner slave owner thinks she's run away exactly but the whole but time is searching and searching for seven years for she's seven. actually living in the small crawl space but how does she survive somebody had to be giving her food well, they, and, and there water were, and there were other slaves on the plantation enslaved people i should say on the plantation uh, but i mean maybe you should just read the yeah, story right. because there's yeah. I mean, her memoir, her autobiography is I, I out am there. intrigued. I will read the story. Right, so that's one. And then I'd say, um, can I have one more? Absolutely. Maggie Kuhn. I did my whole dissertation on Maggie Kuhn. And she started the Grey Panthers when she was 65 years old. And who were the old. Grey Panthers? The Grey Panthers were the first anti-ageist group in American history. So one of the reasons why we no longer have mandatory retirement in various sectors of labor is because of the gray panthers their argument is look just because we turn 65 doesn't mean we're automatically irrelevant every image that's ever been depicted of us on the media shows us to either be these um scraggly cranky right old men and women or that we have no mental capacity whatsoever so the gray panthers use language from previous movements to justify theirs they consider nursing homes um age segregation Right, they use the term segregation. They would say gray is beautiful as opposed to black being beautiful, right? But using the terminology that already existed in gotcha. previous movements to say this matters as well. So I thought she was fascinating because here is this little white woman who's maybe 80 pounds, and she is using the rhetoric that the Black Panthers used, right? I mean, she was very radical, mm. very extreme. And yet because she's packaged in a little bun and glasses and long skirts and yet she's working with the black panthers is there a video of that and there is i have to watch that well remember the ladies the old so (laughs) he he had her on the tonight show yeah okay he had her on the tonight show the one thing is that you're taught growing up is if you don't understand your history you're doomed to repeat it Mm -hmm. and so that to me is another important aspect of this too that if you don't if you don't realize that there were these trailblazers before you or that, that this, there's already precedent here, then you, you feel like there's nothing you can do to help. But when you can educate yourself and see that there are women who have stepped into these roles, it can be empowering. Well, and that you are not the first, right? That this, this doesn't need to be this incredibly terrifying thing. I think that's one of the reasons why many young women and women hesitate to run for office, Right? Is that I don't I don't know. I'm not qualified. I'm not this. I'm not that. I'm not the other. And I think if you look at the history, uh, there are a lot of individuals who did amazing things over the centuries that they could be inspired by. And we don't need to wait on someone in 2019 or 2000 or 2020. Uh, I mean, it's very wonderful having role models that currently are living and amongst us. But there are also a lot of role models that have blazed the trail for us that we just need to remember. We're going to do this March Madness bracket. By the way, we're going. To, we need to have you back. Oh, okay. You can. You can I name. You can name the sixty-four. You can put the sixty-four women on the list, and then we're going to sixty-four. Well, that's what a bracket is. 
They won't go quickly through some of them, but when we get down to the final four, we'll all right, so give us a, a sneak peek of what year what who would be your final four, I guess. Who would be my well, you've asked me two different questions four. here. Stick with four. Top four role models or top four individuals that should be discussed in your Okay, let's let's give your top role models. Do they need to be living? No, your top, top role, models. role models. Your top you can only I mean, you can only take your 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 Mount Rushmore role models this is for, my fantasy for Dr. <gasps> Emily. If, even if they're dead or alive, your role models, who are you putting on that Mount Rushmore for you? That is an intense question. You gotta say it right now. No, I'm just kidding. No, actually actually you do. <laughs> I would say, first and foremost. Wait, can I just say? Can I just ask? Would it happen to be Harriet Tubman, Susan B. Anthony, or Amelia Earhart? You mean the three that you mentioned at <laughs> the, the very three. beginning? Well, I mean, of this podcast. Yeah, they don't have to be. I, I mean, but you should really give some consideration to I, those. You three. know what? I have uh, a monthly newsletter. Of Remember the ladies, and this is going to be the next one of my what my. Mount Rushmore would oh, be. Oh, you're going to okay. tease us. And She's not starting tell a us. conversation She's of. Us. No, but I'll, I'll answer a few. I think Harriet Tubman would certainly be on there for four million reasons. Uh, I think there's actually a film coming out. Can never go wrong. In November. Well, I mean, she led one of the most successful military raids, undercover raids. All right, in who's next? American history. Abigail Adams. Okay. I'll do a, a quick number three. Okay. Okay. Bobby Gibb. She's the first woman to have run the entire Boston Marathon. But again, that's my Mount Rushmore. It's not an objective. This is who everybody should know Mount oh, Rushmore. Yeah, think, Which is why the conversation at March Madness is going to be so so interesting. I can't wait. It's going to be fun. I can't wait to hear Lucas's Mount Rushmore. We're doing this bracket. Okay. okay. We'll come we'll have her back around March Madness and we'll do it. Well, and it's women's history month, so it's perfect. Oh yeah. There you go. All right. Well, Dr. Emily, it's really been a pleasure coming in, educating us. It's been fun. We hope that you enjoyed it, too. And we look forward to you coming back and us doing this bracket. If people want to get more information, um, want to find out more about your organization or your curriculum, they go to RememberTheLadiesHistory.org. You can also sign up for our newsletter. And follow us on Facebook or Instagram. It sounds good. For everybody else out there, thanks again for joining us. And uh, don't forget, we love to hear from our listeners. So check us out on Facebook slash group slash Other Side Podcast. Or you can always hit us up at Other Side underscore POD. And so until then, try to see things from the other side. Thanks. Thanks.